Welcome back to Bible time. We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for illumination. We pray for understanding. We pray for unction. We pray for utterance. Lord, we pray that you'd quicken us and help us and that your word would go forth with, with power. We pray, Lord God, for clarity of speech. We pray, Lord God, that you'd touch my tongue, touch my lips. Help me, Lord God, to preach according to your will. Help me, Lord God, not to preach my own ideas and my own thoughts, but to preach your word. Lord, I'm weak, and I need your help, Lord God. You're strong. You said in, in our weakness, Lord God, that your strength is made manifest. We pray that you would do that today. And Lord, in spite of my weakness, in spite of my backwardness, Lord God, that you would hear from heaven and that you would move, Father, and that you would use this message in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Here in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, when he shall come, this is a continuation of the thought that we've been looking at throughout the second epistle to the Thessalonians of the return of Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's been just a little while since we've done a Bible time, so we're going to do a little bit of recap of these two books just to kind of try and get us our minds and our hearts back in the, in the subject matter. <clears throat> and you pray for me, that I'll be able to preach. It says here um, in chapter 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here the apostle Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus are writing again to this startup church, this little fledgling church that was began and born in trouble. We looked at that in 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians, we have this concept being brought to us in chapter 4 of the rapture of the church, as some people call it, the catching away of the church. Here in verse 14, it says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words." The comfort of the catching away of the church was the main focus of the day of the Lord in First Thessalonians. Whenever Paul talked about um, the coming of Jesus Christ, he was talking about the catching away of the church, about that bright and glorious morning when the dead in Christ shall rise. There's that song that we sing about that, I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. And that morning that Jesus Christ comes and calls up all the dead and calls up the church to meet him in the air, that bright and glorious glorious morning that comes was the focus of first Thessalonians here in second Thessalonians. We have a different focus in second Thessalonians. He's dealing with an the idea that the day of the Lord has already come, that people have given this idea, given the idea that the rapture has happened. The resurrection of the dead has happened and people have troubled the church. They've sent possibly letters in the name of the apostle Paul, trying to certify their false doctrines with the name of the apostle Paul. And they've been telling people that the rapture's already passed and that the church has to go through the tribulation. <clears throat> 
So here in 2 Thessalonians, uh, the Apostle Paul is telling the church, look down there at verse 4, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. So he's speaking to the church that is going through tribulation, a church that is in tribulation right now. Now for a church that's going through tribulation and is being butchered and murdered and burnt at the stake and their heads being cut off and they're being sawn asunder and and fed the lions and whatever else could be come up with to torture them and to kill them, the thought of going through a worse tribulation would be pretty disconcerting. It would be pretty hard to sleep at night whenever you're already being chased, you're already being hunted, you already don't know if you're going to have a job in the morning when you show up at work, you've already had your business taken from you, you've already had your livelihood taken from you, you've already been hated and driven out from the main cities. You're living on the fringes of society. People despise you. People won't hardly sell to you. If they do sell to you, they mark everything up multiple upon multiple times higher than other people have to buy it to keep you in abject poverty. By the way, it's not fair. Life isn't fair. Being a Christian isn't fair. Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And here they are in all this tribulation, in all this persecution, and somebody sends a letter to them and says, hey, you missed it. You missed the rapture. It's already happened. We're going through the tribulation. Don't you know God has to purify his bride with this fire, which is totally false doctrine that doesn't exist anywhere in the Bible. By the way, what bride, what so-called bride gets purified so-called with fire in the book of Revelation? If you go to Revelation, I believe it's 17 and 18, somewhere in there, it talks about Babylon falling and the great whore being burnt with fire. The church that's going through the tribulation is the great whore. The great whore is going through the tribulation and the great whore is going to be burnt with fire, but that will not be for their purification. It will be for the vengeance and wrath of Almighty God to be poured out upon the false religious institutions of this day. And there will be Southern Baptist churches that go through the tribulation. There will be Catholic churches that go through the tribulation. There'll be Presbyterian churches that go through the tribulation. There'll be non-denominational churches that go through the tribulation. There'll be Pentecostal churches and Assemblies of God churches. There'll be Unitarian churches and Jehovah's Witness so-called churches and Mormon so-called churches. There'll be all kinds of churches that go through the tribulation because they have not Christ. They're none of Christ. They never were Christ. They don't belong to Christ. Christ does not not recognize them. They're not true churches because God is not in them and Christ is not the head. We've talked about this before. Jesus Christ is the head over all things to his church. Look up here and pay attention today, please. Whenever you get to a church, when you find a church where Jesus Christ is not the head, you just found a church that does not belong to Christ and does not uh, does not truly deserve to have the name church anywhere in its organization. Not in its articles of organization, not on the sign of the front of the door, not on the bulletin they hand you when you walk in the door. There's going to be, by the way, there's going to be independent Baptist churches. There's going to be Bible believer churches. There's going to be all kinds of churches that go through the tribulation. 
because Christ is not the head of those churches, because they do not recognize his authority. They've placed their own minds above the word of God. They've placed their traditions and rules above the word of God. There be Sabbath keeper churches, Seventh-day Adventist churches, Mennonite churches, Amish churches, all kinds of churches are going to go through the tribulation as part of the great whore because they have not submitted themselves to the word of God. And Jesus Christ is not their head and therefore they are not truly the church. They are part of that woman who took the leaven as Pastor Edge was preaching yesterday and hid it in three measures of meal until the whole was leavened. They're part of that great whore. The Bible says the great whore will be burned with fire. And so she will. The false religious institutions, the fake church will be burned with fire by the beast, by the Antichrist, and by the collective unified body of atheistic Antichrist people in the world when it, during the tribulation. They will, there will come a day. There will come a day during the tribulation where they say enough is enough is enough. We are sick to death of the fake churchianity. We are sick to death of the crutch Christianity. We're sick to death of this joke that's called church that's nothing but a money racket. It's nothing but an attempt to hide from taxation. It's nothing but an attempt to make yourself look holier than us. And the Bible says they will hate the great whore and they will burn her with fire. That day's coming. Now, the, here, the church at Thessalonica is being told that they are going to suffer that with the whore. They're being told that they're going to go through the tribulation like the whore. They're being told that the rapture of the church, the blessed hope that Jesus Christ gave his church, that, they, that the church will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, does not apply to them. That either they missed it and it already happened, or it's not going to happen literally, or whatever other plethora of false doctrines, of leaven doctrines, of satanic heresies that the church has been subjected to for 2,000 years, whatever lies were being told, they were being told that they, the true, a true church, a true suffering, Bible-believing, Bible-obeying church was going to go through this tribulation. And they were worried. They were wondering what's going on. What happened to the comfort of First Thessalonians when the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Well here in Second Thessalonians he's getting into, Paul is getting into the second coming of Christ, the completion of it. We've noted, and you can go back and look, how that the second coming of Christ has multiple stages to it, and that the entirety of the prophecies about the second coming of Christ cover a thousand year span. They cover before the tribulation, they cover during, they cover after, they cover after the millennial reign even. So that the second coming of Christ, there are many prophecies involving this second coming of Christ, which will have multiple phases, and if you rightly divide the word of truth, it makes sense and it works out. 
Now, he says here um, that they are already going through tribulation. He says, this is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. So here Paul is preaching the exact opposite message that you get from heresies like amillennialism and things like that where um, they teach that Jesus isn't going to come back and rule and reign in a literal kingdom. All these all these heresies about end times, what they really boil down to, what they really come down to is stealing the hope of the church, stealing the joy of the church, taking the eyes of the bride off the bridegroom. That's the point. That's the reason Satan works it in the hearts of even good people to not believe the basic, simple, raw realities and truths of the Bible that Jesus is coming for his bride. This text that we're looking at today, I'm sorry if this is disjointed. We're trying to get back in the saddle. I'm sorry I haven't been here. I'm sorry I haven't been preaching as much as I should. I've been caught up with too many cares of this life. So bear with me and let's plow and let's get back in this and let's just go. It says here, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. Jesus is coming to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in them that believe. Now, it's pretty hard to admire somebody whenever you are on a cross. It's pretty hard to admire somebody when you're when you're burning at the stake and you're on fire. It's pretty hard to admire somebody whenever you're at the bottom of the barrel. When Listen to me. Whenever you're admiring people, you Usually you have to have a degree of comfort for some admiration. This admiration is an admiration that comes through lovership and fellowship and friendship and closeness and nearness and safety and peace and rest that's promised in 1 Thessalonians. So here he's telling you you're being persecuted now. You have tribulation now. You have problems now. You have all this happening to you right now. You're suffering right now. God is going to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Now, we're not going to preach all that over again, but God here is saying that the tribulation, the great tribulation, the great tribulation is where God recompenses tribulation to the people who have been, who have been giving tribulation to his church. That's the point of the great tribulation. God is not sending the great tribulation on the earth to purify his church. He said, nevertheless, when the son of man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? God is not this weird narcissistic bridegroom that's up here trying to hurt his future bride, hurt his bride to see if she'll really love him. That's not how God does this. That's not the God of the Bible. That's some kind of weird God that Satan wants you to believe in. That's not the God of the Bible. Here he says, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them which to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now the first part of the revelation of Jesus Christ is where he catches up his bride and he is he comes through the air as lightning from one side of heaven to the other. He catches up his bride. The second part of the revelation of Jesus Christ is whenever he comes with all of his saints. Go to Jude. 
go to Jude, and I think it's verse 14. It says, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Now, you realize the reason that these ideas about the coming of Jesus Christ have taken, um, a, have really taken hold in the United States of America, and I can't answer for the rest of the world, but as far as in this nation, these ideas where, where this preaching that Jesus is not coming to catch up his bride, that the church is going through the tribulation, you realize that the root of that whole concept comes from a complete misunderstanding of the bride of Christ. A complete failure to recognize that Jesus Christ says, Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Terza, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. Turn away thine eyes from me, for they have overcome me. A complete ignorance to the lovership and communion and fellowship of obedience and holiness that Christianity is. A complete ignorance. If you look down the street and you see the church with a mosh pit up front and the darkened lights so that it's nearly black inside except for the blue and the green and the yellow and the red strobe lights that are ripping across the fog that's peeling up from the fog machines and you see all the half-naked people swaying and, and just colliding their bodies together in some kind of orgy, waving their hands up and shouting, Jesus, 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 and women going into ecstasy that should be reserved for a marriage bedroom and you see that happening and you see the wickedness and you see the filth and you see the abominations and you see the idolatry and you see the adultery and you see the drunkenness and you see the filth and you see the fornication and you somehow in your mind divorce the reality of the word of God that all they which do such things it says that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven and you have somehow failed to recognize the fact that who God saves he sanctifies and you think that that is the church then I can understand why you think the church is going through the tribulation and that is the case in most times most times whenever you meet folks like that they think the church is going through the tribulation because they think that the mess that they are looking at is the church and it's not the church Jesus Christ is head over all things to the church. Now the church can get pretty carnal and the church can get pretty bad and the church can do wicked things, the true church of Jesus Christ, but not without repercussions. Jesus Christ chastens those who are his sons. The father chastens those who are his sons. God does not let his church go on in wicked immorality and filth without dealing with it. And what we're looking at today in in the name of church is not the church. It's the whore. And the whore is going through the tribulation. You figure that out and it'll split it for you. Just figure that out and it makes the rest of it easy. The whore is going through the tribulation, but the true church of Jesus Christ is not. The true church of Jesus Christ is going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. You say, well, how do I get involved in this true church? We'll get there in just a second. 
So here he says in verse 7, And you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So this revelation of Jesus Christ brings what to the church? It brings rest. It brings rest to the church when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now look at what goes on here in this, in this second part of the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first part was in 1 Thessalonians. Here in this second part, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, wait a second, wait a second. This Jesus being revealed from heaven with his mighty angels... That's when Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom. Well, that's part of it. Again, those prophecies encompass a thousand year span. But what happens in the book of Revelation? We just read it in our previous Bible time messages. What happens in the book of Revelation when the lamb that was slain opens the seals? Who is it that is sent to execute the judgment and wrath of God on the earth? with those seals and then with the vials of wrath. Who are the messengers that are sent? The angels. So this includes here in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus being revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, all of the wrath and outpouring of God upon the earth. You see, the, you see listen, the day of the Lord begins with Jesus Christ catching up his church and immediately there in heaven is the marriage supper of the Lamb and in the meantime, the earth is plunged into turmoil. And the vials of wrath are poured out. The seals are opened. Angels are sent to judge the earth. An angel goes through heaven preaching the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. All of those events are part of the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, the revelation of Jesus Christ isn't a two-second show that's just over. The revelation of Jesus Christ kicks off with the catching away of the church, the true church of Jesus Christ. And then there's seven years of tribulation where the Antichrist is resisting the coming of Jesus Christ. Resisting the coming kingdom, organizing the world in a battle against Jesus Christ. That's what the tribulation really is. The tribulation really is the Antichrist in a seven year war against Christ, trying to hold back the coming, the literal coming of Christ to set up his kingdom. That's what the tribulation really is. It has nothing to do with purifying the church. Nothing to do with purifying the church. Everything to do with the literal fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who will come and at the end of that seven years restore Israel to spiritual privilege and place them, place the throne of David in Jerusalem and Jesus Christ will sit upon it. Now, the, this flaming fire, Jesus Christ coming in flame, in flaming fire, taking vengeance in them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is brought to absolute climax in Revelation 19. So let's go over there and look at that real quick. Revelation 19. 
Revelation 19, we've already, in the last few Bible time messages, we've already um, blitzed through most of the book of Revelation, just getting a, a summary, a synopsis of the things that will happen and that go on. And here in Revelation 19, um, it speaks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then here in verse 11, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen white and clean and we see here out of his mouth go the sharp sword and with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the almighty God. Now this king coming in wrath, this king coming in power, this king coming in fire has armies with him according to verse 14. And we read about that in Jude. Lo, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. Jude, um, quoting Enoch there, is the only portion of any of Enoch's writing that survived to this day as inspired word of God. Everything else is spurious and should just be thrown out. So when people ask you, have you read the book of Enoch, just kind of smile at them and go back to your Bible. But in any case, Jude there references Enoch and Enoch saying, lo, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. And here's the Lord in flaming fire with 10,000 of with 10,000 of his saints. And look, Look at verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So here comes Jesus. And this is what this message is going to focus on now as we get down to this is the glorification of Jesus Christ and his saints, the admiration of Jesus Christ and his saints and how, listen to me, how you get to be on the winning side to enjoy the show. You know, whenever you see a, a team in basketball, <clears throat> let's say in basketball, two teams get out there to play, and at halftime, it's 75 to 0. 75 to 0. And with five minutes left on the clock, it's 183 to 0. And with one minute left on the clock, it's 213 to 0. And then the buzzer goes off. If you are on the team that lost, there's not much glory and there's not much admiration going on. But if you're on the other team, there's glory and there's admiration. So, wow, you stomped them. And this is what this whole thing is about. The saints glorifying Christ for stomping the world. Boy, that doesn't go over real good in this ecumenical society today, does it? But that's what it really is. The saints literally glorifying Christ for stomping the world. Look at verse 9. The world's going to, of Second Thessalonians chapter 1, who, the world's going to be punished, it says, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Do you realize, do you realize today that when Jesus Christ comes back and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and Jesus Christ has a sword go out of his mouth and smites the nation, and Jesus Christ's garments are stained with the literal physical blood of human beings, that the true church of Jesus Christ will be shouting glory to Jesus Christ. Shouting glory to Jesus Christ because he's winning and he's going to win and when he wins we're going to be with him and we're going to be watching him win and we're not going to be crying for the enemies 
You know, if you're really, if you're really a sold-out diehard fan, do you really care if the other team never scares a, scores a point? This, there's this thing that's come across sports in America. This thing where everybody's supposed to be good buddies all the time, and the it's at least if you tried hard, you should get rewarded for trying hard, and and you know you shouldn't really rub it in if you win. I remember in the '90s, my dad was a big football fan. I don't even watch the junk; it's so full of filth and trash. And honestly, it brought all kinds of inroads of the devil into my home. I'm sorry we ever watched it, but you know, dad was doing what he could do and the best he could do, um, having been saved um, just a few years before he before I even came along and we were growing in the Lord and in the in the meantime he'd always grown up watching football and football was a thing in my home growing up but in the in the 90s when the football was football was going on men still got dirty number one if if there was mud they still played football and they played the football in the mud and they played hard and they hit hard and when somebody got hurt they didn't stop the whole game for more than a few just a minute or two and they'd pay their respects to the hurt guy and they'd get back to football and you say that's crazy uh, and that's stupid yeah it's kind of stupid to be that hardcore over a ball I understand that but the reality is that there was a glory in winning and there was a battle to win and they were willing to fight to win and they were willing to get injured to win. Now they're not even hardly willing to get injured in the game anymore. But you know what else they did when they'd get a touchdown? Somebody would score a point. And you know what they'd do? They'd run in that end zone and they'd take the ball and they'd go up in the air and they'd slam that ball into the ground and it'd go bouncing off. And then they'd all go and jump on each other and pile up on each other and punch each other and shout, yeah! And they'd shake each other and they would even sometimes throw the ball up into the stands and the fans would go wild and grab the football. And that's none of that's politically correct anymore. No, because you're, you're supposed to feel a a little bit bad for the guy that's getting beat that didn't exist in the 90s that wasn't a thing in the 90s like i don't know what this weird spirit of solidarity with losers is that has come over our nation but it's come in any case when jesus christ comes he's going to spike the ball when Jesus Christ comes, he's going to win. When Jesus Christ comes, nobody is going to stand in his presence. And guess what? If you're on the losing team, nobody's going to cry for you. Nobody's going to give you a solidarity moment. Nobody's going to pat you on the hand and say, well, it's all right. Listen to me today. If you do not make peace with God and get on the winning team today, it is going to be bad. And Jesus Christ is going to win. And when he wins, you are going to get it rubbed in your face. And he's not going to apologize and nobody else is either. You might not like that, but that's Bible. When he shall become to be glorified in his saints. You say, what happened to gentle Jesus? He came back. Praise the Lord. He came as gentle Jesus, meek and mild, a lamb to be slain for your sins, a substitute sacrifice. He was killed. He was put to death. He gave his own life. They didn't actually do the act of killing him. He gave up the ghost. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He has made a way for you to change teams. 
Roster is open. You can join the winning side. You can get on Jesus' side today. If you don't, you're going to get the ground wiped up with you when he comes again. And there's not going to be any hope of anything but judgment if you don't get on the winning side. But what about those saints? He'll be glorified. He'll be glorified in his saints. There his saints are coming with him. Why in the world would his saints come with him? He doesn't need their help. His saints are going to be his cheerleaders. Not in a wicked, perverted way like the world does today, but his saints are going to be his cheerleaders in a godly, in a holy, in a pure way. When Jesus Christ comes again, listen, what king rides into battle with his bride right behind him? A king that is invincible, unstoppable, and guaranteed of total victory with no chance of any kind of failure or danger to his bride. That's the kind of king that rides into battle with his bride. And that's the kind of king that's coming again. Jesus Christ is coming back with his bride. He's coming back with his bride to be glorified in his saints. And there his saints are riding with him to the ten thousands of his saints coming back with him. And they will be, he will be glorified in his saints when he comes. And what about this thing where it says to be admired in all them that believe? To be admired in all them that believe. Go to Revelation um, 19. Let me see if I can get a place marker here in Thessalonians so I don't lose it. Revelation 19. Let's look at a few more verses here. Revelation 19 and verse 15. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords and I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men both free and bond both small and great by the way these captains are the ones that were just persecuting just a little while before anyone that would name the name of christ these captains are the ones whenever people are are persecuting christians today when people are persecuting Christians today, remember their day's coming. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Well, the Christian turns the other cheek. Listen to me. Get this and get this good. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. He's not going to next time. He did it already. He didn't say keep turning the other cheek, did he? And there's a day whenever God says enough is enough. And when God says enough is enough, Jesus Christ will not turn the other cheek. He will not turn a blind eye to your sin, seen and not seen, as the Bible says that his God's righteous servant, Jesus Christ, would be when he came, giving us space to repent, giving us grace and time to repent. When Jesus comes again, there will be absolute retribution, absolute retribution. Do you hear me today? absolute retribution there will not be one sin that is not judged not one dirty thought that is not judged not one ungodly motive that is not judged every thought every word every action will be judged with total and complete retribution and the world can whine and then they'll get retribution for whining did you know that 
There won't be any of this whining. They're not going to get on CNN and say, Jesus Christ sitting in, as king in Jerusalem has overstepped his bounds. Jesus Christ sitting as king in Jerusalem needs a lesson in good polity. Jesus Christ is just a little bit rude. Jesus Christ is just a little bit coarse. Jesus Christ isn't being fair to those poor people over in the Gaza Strip or anywhere else in the world. They're not going to get a chance to even whine. Do you hear me? When they think they're whiny thoughts, they're going to get nailed for it. Total and complete retribution. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. This is the King of Kings, and this is the Lord of Lords named Jesus Christ, who is coming to rule. He is coming. He is coming. He's coming to rule. He's coming to reign. And this world is going to be subject to him no matter how hard they try. And they will try. Oh, they'll give it their best shot, and they're not going to get a award for good effort either. Remember what it says there in, um, in Jude, Behold the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all. Look at verse 16. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust. It says of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Well, if, I'm, if I meet God, I'm going to have some words for him. Yeah, Right. God's going to judge and you're going to be under total and complete retribution. Today is the day of mercy. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You say, what happened to the good, gentle Jesus? What happened to grace? What happened to love? It's available. But if you skate by it today, if you overlook it today, if you brush Jesus off today, you're going to find a different kind of Jesus on judgment day than you even will admit exists. He's coming. All the rulers of the world today scoff and mock at this. I don't know of any in any case that don't. Maybe there's some out there that actually believe Jesus is coming again and have a fear of God in their hearts. But if they exist, and of course I don't keep up too much with world events, but if they exist, I certainly don't know about it. But it doesn't matter whether they believe it or not. Jesus Christ is coming and he's going to rule and he's going to reign and he's going to destroy his enemies. He's going to be glorified in his saints. His saints aren't going through the tribulation. Now, you ought to be asking the question about now, how can I be one of those guys? This question ought to be foremost in your mind. How can I be one of those guys? I want to, I want Christ to be glorified in me. I want to admire Christ when he comes. I don't want to be on the losing side. Now, some of you out there would listen to this and grit your teeth and clench your fists and say, I'm going to stand with humankind because you are uh, nothing but a humanist, which is a cult, by the way. You're nothing but a humanist and you've exalted man to be like God and you think that God doesn't have the right to judge and this this kind of preaching just makes you madder than a hornet and just makes you more resolved than ever to stand with God against Christ, stand with man against Christ in the face of God. But anybody out there with common sense ought to be saying, how can I change teams? How can I change teams? Oh, Arkansas college team. Arkansas, um, they were playing in one conference. I don't even know the names of the conferences. College sports, uh, some of you are going to hate me for saying this. College sports are almost completely rigged. It's a joke. Anyway. <coughs> Arkansas, University of Arkansas, or whatever it is, um, Razorbacks was the team. They were playing in one conference, and the conference wasn't very good. So they never got really good players because the good players went to the teams that were going to win. Well, that's not fair. 
So what did Arkansas do? They left their conference and went to another conference to play with the teams that always win so they can get people to come to play on teams that always win against teams that always win because they wanted to attract real players. Oh, I know that doesn't fit with the PC solidarity crowd today. You're supposed to have, listen, if you've got a kid on your team that can't hit the ball at all, you're supposed to let him pinch hit so that he gets more self-esteem. That's not how God works. And you're not going to get to pinch hit because you can't hit. You either get on God's team or you're going to lose. Do you hear me today? You are on, if you're not on the team of Jesus, you are on the losing team. Losing, loser, loser, loser. Do you hear me? And you can stay there in your stupid solidarity, in your humanism, acting like you're doing humankind a favor to stand against the King of Kings. But I'm telling you, the day will come when Jesus Christ returns. And if you're on the losing team, you will lose. Capital L, capital O, capital S, capital E, lose. Great big L on your forehead, loser. That's what we're talking about. You are going to lose. And it's not just going to be a ball game. It's going to be your life and eternity. You've got a choice. You can switch teams. Well, you have a chance to switch teams. You can get off the devil's side and get on Christ Jesus' side today. And if you do then he'll be glorified in you and admired by you. And when you see this great destruction, you will admire Christ and glorify Christ. Otherwise, you will be the one being destroyed while I admire Christ and glorify Christ for destroying you. Now, I don't want you to be destroyed. I don't, I, but listen to me, even my children that are here. If you choose the devil's side on that day, I will be on Jesus' side. And it will be different. I would, I would give my life for any of my children. I love my children. I'll fight for you. I'll stand for you. I'll provide for you. I'll do everything I can do to take care of you if you're my child. But the day will come when Jesus Christ returns, whenever that filial bond will be broken. That filial bond between father and son. Jesus said, I came not to send peace upon earth, but a sword. I am come to set a man at variance with his own children, Jesus said. And at that day when Jesus Christ returns, the man who's saved will be at variance with his own children who are not saved. The man who's saved will be glorifying Christ while Christ destroys his own children who stood against Christ and chose against Christ. I know that doesn't sound right. I know it doesn't sound PC. I know it doesn't sound happy. I know it doesn't give you butterflies of joy in your stomach to think about that thing. But I'm warning you today, you better get on the winning side. You better get on the winning side. You better get on Jesus' side. Now the saints, Jesus Christ will be glorified in the saints. They'll be shouting hallelujah. They'll be shouting glory to the Lamb. They'll be shouting worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor and power in that day. And they'll be admired. Let's look at some of that admiration. Here, the remnant were slain in Revelation 19, 21. The beast is taken. The false prophet is taken. Both, it says, um, <coughs> It says that these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of, proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. 
And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. By the way, this is why you better just get off the fake Christianity kick and stop pretending like everybody that you love is saved. By the way, because when this day comes and the cover is taken off and the veil is taken away and sin is exposed and righteousness is brought forth to light and to and to bear your children, no matter how much you want to pretend like they're saved, if they're lost, they're lost. Better quit playing games, America. Better just wake up. And quit lying on God and pretending like your family's okay with God when they're acting like the devil and disobedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says here that Jesus laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent. Actually, Jesus didn't even. It was an angel. Just sent an angel. Go down there and grab that worm. That devil, by the way, the Bible says he's going to be like a worm. The devil will be. So here this angel comes down, laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. It's coming. Satan's going to lose. Satan's going to lose. Do you hear me today? Jesus Christ will send an angel down. Can you imagine that day as a saint? Can you imagine as a persecuted tri- church, as a tribulation church of Thessalonica who's going through the tribulation now? I don't believe in kingdom now, junk. I believe in tribulation now, just like the Bible says. And here Thessalonica is going through tribulation. And Jesus Christ comes back, catches them up to heaven. Then they come back with Jesus Christ on white horses and they watch Jesus grab the devil. Have an angel grab the devil like a worm and bind him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit. Can you imagine the shouts of hallelujah? Can you imagine the shouts of glory? All across America, people would go spend $14 to sit in a dirty seat in a dark room full of germs that hasn't been aired out or cleaned out in probably 10, 20 years, however long since the building was built, full of all kinds of old moldy food and cockroaches that you can't see because the lights are out, and a bunch of other people full of germs and sit there and watch some stupid fake show. Some stupid fake movie full of flashy lights with a wall that's 20 feet high and 30 feet wide with speakers all around them that boom and bang so that they feel like they're right in the middle of the show. And they'll sit there and watch some kind of stupid fake hero in pantyhose run around kicking a box of metal that's supposed to be a villain that's destroying the earth. And then they're all shout and throw their popcorn in the air and get these bumpy feelings all over their arms whenever the hero finally smashes the tin can and makes it look like what it is and goes and kisses his girlfriend. And then they roll credits, the end. And everybody goes home feeling this euphoria of victory for their hero which is really nothing more usually than a wimp of a small little pervert dude that couldn't even whip a thug on the side of the street that's on drugs or drunk back in Hollywood somewhere full of all kinds of diseases of his immorality but he's some kind of hero to them so they all get this euphoria and they shout praises to their heroes and how and they glorify their hero and they buy the t-shirts with the big s on it and they they buy all of the stuff for their superheroes and avengers and all this kind of stupid junk all for fake heroes but i'm telling you today a true believer in jesus christ 
has a hero who's coming. And when he comes, he's going to win. And he's going to win without even getting a scratch. Do you hear me today? It's not even going to be a contest. He is going to win. He is going to destroy. He is going to conquer. And when he does, his saints will glorify him. They will glorify him. For those of you that maybe ever got on that bandwagon of the stupid superhero kick, and maybe you had those bump chilly feelings and those moments of euphoria watching the stupid shows, just imagine how much better it's going to be if you have found the real Jesus Christ when he comes back and you're in the middle of it on a white horse with Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. Hallelujah. He's going to be glorified in his saints. They're going to be shouting glory, glory. And they're not going to care who sees. Oh, what, what's that ball player's name? There's all kinds of them. I don't even want to name them. Some ball player out there goes and jumps across the floor with a basketball and throws it down a hole and 10,000 people erupt and jump and throw their beer and their, and their soda pop and their candy and their ice cream and food's hitting the ceiling and the walls and, and the, all across the nation and people are shouting glory and glorifying their sports star and they don't care who thinks they're stupid. They'll wear stupid hats. They'll take their shirt off in 20-degree weather and paint themselves blue with letters so they can jump up and down and get on the camera in front of a sports team so that they can glorify their sports team. But I'm telling you, the saints of Jesus Christ, dressed in pure, fine linen, the righteousness of the saints, they're going to have something to shout about. And he's going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's coming back with righteousness and glory and judgment and wrath. And he's going to judge his enemies put them under his feet and he's going to rule and reign the bible says here uh, that the devil's cast into the bottomless pit and shut and the angel shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed a little season and i saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them and i saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of jesus and for the word of god and which had not worshiped the beast neither his image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished this is the first resurrection blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years priests of God and of Christ reigning with Jesus Christ glorifying Jesus Christ it says here in verse 7, When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Who says? God says. How do you know God said? Man wrote that book. God said he wrote that book. God said holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God said he would preserve his word forever. O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. That will keep them, O Lord, from this generation forever. How do you know that that's true? That's just, that's just something somebody said. Do you mean that that's the testimony 
That's the testimony. Of something. That's, you can call it that if you want. A testimony. Yes, it is. It's a testimony. A legal testimony, in fact. It's the credible test witness of a credible, or it's the testimony of a credible witness. A man who saw with his eyes and heard with his ears and told you what he saw and what he heard that God showed him and he put it down here. And you don't, you expect me to believe that? You expect me to believe what some man said he saw and what some man said he heard? Second Thessalonians 1.10, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Here we have the admiration of the saints in Revelation 21. We haven't even gotten into it for sake of time. We're just going to move pretty quick past it. But here's the new heaven and the new earth. God wiping away the tears, the sunlight, no need of the sun, um, no night there. Um, all the people shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Admiring Jesus Christ for all of eternity. These that believe will admire Jesus Christ. How do you get on that? You believe the testimony. You believe the testimony. You know, when I was a boy, Michael Jordan was in his prime or at the close of his prime, really. Um, as, I, as I hit my teenage years, he was on his way out. Did you know that all the heroes of the world go out? Yeah, he could, he could jump from the free throw line and slam the ball in the hole. Wow. And he could do it for about 10 years. And then he couldn't do it anymore. Nobody wanted him. His own team fired him. He went from the Chicago Bulls out to the what? The Wizards that nobody even knew about was the name of the team. And he had an ignoble career there where he really didn't do anything amazing. He didn't even have any kind of good supporting cast. And it kind of hurt his career, honestly, for him to go over there because he became a has-been. All people become has-beens. All human heroes die. All human heroes get old. Jesus Christ will never get old. He's going to be admired for all eternity in his in those that believe. And how do you get on that winning side? How do you switch teams? How do you get on the side? Because our testimony among you was believed. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. You say, what about grace? That's today. We've been talking about tomorrow. There's no grace in tomorrow. If you miss God today, there's no grace tomorrow. You say, well, what about the literal tomorrow? Like today's what? The 8th? The 8th of May, 2023. Tomorrow will be the 9th of May. Well, if Jesus does not come back tomorrow, then that will be today and there will be grace. But in that day that Jesus comes, there will not be grace the team you choose to be on is the team you're going to be on. And it won't matter whether you think it's fair or not whenever that day comes. So how do you get on the winning team? Romans 10. Here he talks about because our testimony among you was believed. Can you be serious? God expects you to believe the testimony? Yes, God expects you to believe the testimony. Romans chapter 10 Verse 8, but what saith that the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It can't get more simple. It can't get more easy. The roster is open. God's taking applications. You can join the team and you don't even have to be able to play ball. All you've got to do is believe the testimony. You see, Jesus is such an all-star, such a superstar, and I hate even using that word because they've misused it and abused it, but Jesus Christ is such a hero. 
that he's going to win all by himself. He doesn't need anybody supporting him. He doesn't need anybody to pass him the ball. Jesus doesn't need anybody to help him. But yet he's opened the door of heaven for you. He's opened the ranks of his army for you to join. Even though he's the point man, he's the general, he's going in first, he's coming out last, he's going to defeat the enemy, and he's opened the rosters you can join. If somebody says, hey, the United States military is hired. I don't know that they're doing this. I have no idea. I'm just making this up. The United States military is looking for new recruits. If you join, you get a $100,000 sign-on bonus. And you get a pension the rest of your life if you'll, if you'll just stay six years. How many people do you think would go to the military today if they came out with that kind of a deal? The recruiters' offices would be flooded. Here, listen to me today. Jesus Christ has sent a recruiter to tell you about his army. And I just did. And he's told you that his army's going to win. And he's told you that there's nobody that can defeat his army. And he's told you that there's no repercussions for winning in his army. Unlike the day, this crazy world that we live in where the conqueror is supposed to pay war reparations to the conquered. Weird. There's no reparations for winning whenever you join his army. The recruiter has told you today that today is the day you can join. How do you join? You believe the testimony. You believe the word of God. You believe what it says in your Bible, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about a home in heaven. We're talking about joining the winning side. We're talking about having a hero worth glorifying. We're talking about having a king worth serving. We're talking about having a God worth worshiping and it's available. He's available. Jesus Christ is available today. Today. It says, for there's no difference between Jew, the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? (coughs) Excuse me. And how shall they hear without a preacher? I'm not a good preacher, not much of a preacher. But here's a preacher, and he's told you, and you've heard. Now what are you going to do with it? It says, how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. And down here in verse 21, it says, all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Whose side are you on today? Jesus is coming to be glorified in his saints and admired in all them that believe. Are you going to be glorifying Christ and admiring Christ? Or are you going to be squalling like a stuck pig on the losing side? As the rod of iron comes down on your head and the foot of Jesus Christ crushes you to pulp. Because those are your two options. You can either repent and believe the gospel and turn from your wicked way and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Or you can fall before him and be crushed under him and destroyed by him without apology. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would use this message and that you would turn wicked from their wicked ways with this message. 
and this truth that's been preached. In Jesus' name, amen.